Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So about a year ago for our Wednesday night Bible study, in an attempt to do something that I've always wanted to do, I took a couple of stories from the Bible that most people either don't know about or have just skipped over because they're so scandalous and spent about seven weeks with 30 of my closest friends trying to figure it all out. And what happened in that Bible study is, first of all, I didn't get fired. Which is always a big win. you got to keep that in mind. Secondly, we spent a whole lot of time laughing and feeling uncomfortable all at the same time. But I think most importantly, we discovered that what usually happens when we take some time to wrestle with these scandalous stories instead of just ignoring them is they actually have the ability to, to change us in profound ways. So what I thought I would do for the next four weeks is take four of these scandalous stories and share them with all of you so that you too might just experience your own transformation, all the while squirming a little bit in your seats. So, who's ready to get uncomfortable today? I need a little bit more, I don't wanna get fired. Here we go, here we go. Okay, so to set the scene for this, um, we turn back to Genesis 2-4b, the Adam and Eve saga. And the way Genesis tells the story is that in the day when God went about creating the heavens and the earth, God created a man. And the way that God went about creating this man was like an artisan, skillfully molding and shaping pottery, God took the dust of the earth and he began to mold and shape it into human form. Then when God got everything just right, he breathed into its nostrils the breath of life. And this lump of dirt went from being just inert matter to something that was infused with life. Or God took a part of his life, his body, his spirit, his breath, and put it in this being, in this dirt, came alive. Next we find God then goes about creating a garden and then places the man in the garden to till and keep it, and yet there was still something missing. So what God does next in an attempt to bring his creation to completion is he does this. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. Or God, in his quest to bring creation to completion, takes a piece of the man himself and begins to mold and shape that into the most beautiful creature the world has ever seen. And the reason we know this is because when Adam lays eyes on this thing for the very first time, this is what he says. He says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called, whoa, man. (laughs) For out of man, this one was taken. But then just when God finished creating everything the way he wanted it to be, or as soon as everything is just about perfect, that's when, as you guys know, everything starts to fall apart. And then both Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit. They break God's command, which ultimately gets them kicked out of the garden, or you guys know this story as the fall. 
And yet, as the story continues, the first thing that happens after Adam and Eve are kicked out is that with God's help, they start a family. Now, the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next, she bore his brother Abel. Or from the two people that God created, we get the birth of two more human beings. Adam and Eve now have their sons Cain and Abel. This is the beginning. And everything should be warm and fuzzy at this point, right? But you guys know what happens next. Cain, out of his jealousy, ends up murdering his brother, which finally gets us to the strange part of this story. But before we jump into the scandal, I need to share with you that the first time this strange little verse was pointed out to me, it was not something that made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. No, instead, when I encountered this weird little verse for the first time, it caused my world to tilt a little bit. Or because of what I've been taught about how the Bible worked, it caused me quite a bit of confusion and stress. It was not fun. So let me just kind of walk you through what's going on here so maybe you can feel the same thing. So remember, according to the Adam and Eve story up to this point, there are only three people who exist, right? We have Adam, Eve, Cain. That's it. Yet what we find as God is punishing Cain is this strange little verse which says... Cain knew his wife. Cain knew his wife. Or what oftentimes happens when we read this verse and we're not thinking about it is we, we usually don't even notice the strangeness. We just kind of read right on by not thinking about it. But now that I'm pointing it out to you, you're starting to ski the scandal that has actually been built into this thing the whole time. You're starting to say to yourself, well, wait a minute, I thought there were only three people. So where in the world did Cain's wife come from? Oh, and by the way, this is the point when your world starts to tilt a little bit. Because if you're anything like me, what you were taught about the Bible growing up is the Bible is the inspired word of God. And what that means, there's no mistakes, no contradictions, because the Bible came directly from God. But what this little verse seems to do here, when you see it for the first time, is it causes all of that to come into question. So, so do you guys see what I'm talking about here? It's a little strange. It's a little weird. It's a lot scandalous when you take a moment to think about it. Well, usually when people see this, what starts to happen is it not only causes them to begin to question the Bible and its validity, but it also leads to a whole lot of other big questions as well. Questions like, does the Bible really contain a mistake? And if the Bible contains a mistake, does that mean the Bible is, is not true? And if the Bible is not true, can we trust what it has to say? And then to take this even further, if the Bible is not what we thought it was, does that possibly mean that there is no God? And if there is no God, does that mean we're just random accidents? Or that none of this really matters? Then as all of those questions are swirling around in your mind, if you're anything like me, you go right back to the Bible to try to make sense of it all. Because surely there's got to be an explanation, or surely we just miss not only where Cain's wife came from, but where Cain's wife's mom and dad came from, and on and on we could go. Which then leads to questions like, well, did, did Adam and Eve have some children that we didn't know about? Did, did God create some other people that, that just weren't mentioned? Or are the people that God created in his image in Genesis 1.26 somehow different from Adam and Eve? I mean, what's going on here? How do we make it all fit? Then, after doing a lot of reading on your own, but still don't have it all figured out, what do you do next? You go to the experts. 
You go to the most brilliant minds, the people who are supposed to have this all figured out, right? The experts are supposed to have the answers. And yet, what you find even among the most brilliant biblical scholars is a whole lot of disagreement regarding this particular text, along with a whole lot of people who continue to wrestle with the question, where in the world did Cain's wife come from? Because they really don't know either. So are you feeling uncomfortable yet? So now that we're in this strange, uncomfortable place, the question becomes, well, how do we go about making sense of this strange little verse? Well, first of all, let me point out to you that if this verse or any other verse in the Bible has caused your world to tilt or ask questions, then you need to know that you're in good company. Because the truth is, for anyone who has ever read the Bible in a serious way, you are going to find strange verses and stories all over this place. Or to make this a bit more personal, how many of you, if you're honest with yourself, while reading the Bible, have ever come across something that you just couldn't make sense of? Anybody? Yep. How many of you read something that didn't seem to line up and it caused you to ask some questions? Anybody? Yeah. This is normal. In fact, if it's never happened to you, I would suggest that you're not reading the Bible close enough. It's all over the place. But now that you get this is a normal part of reading the Bible, let me share with you why this is the case or how to read the Bible on its own terms instead of trying to kind of fit it into the way we think because I think this is where we're going to find how to solve a lot of our problems. So after years and years of wrestling with all sorts of strange verses like this one, the solution that makes the most sense to me in most cases comes from a man named John Walton, Dr. John Walton. And to give you a bit of background on him, he's a well-respected Old Testament scholar. Um, not only that, but he's, he's taught hundreds upon hundreds of ministers. He's a deeply devoted follower of Jesus, and he believes that the Bible is the inspired word of God. So the way that Dr. Walton goes about making sense of this strange little verse, along others, is with this simple bit of wisdom. And this is what you've got to memorize, or this is what you've got to write down. The Bible was written for us, not to us. The Bible was written for us, not to us. And what Dr. Walton is getting at is the Bible is not a recent document written to us or written in a way that's supposed to make the most sense to us as modern people. No, the Bible is a collection of two to 3,000-year-old documents that was written to people of the ancient world, which means if we want to understand the Bible appropriately, we have to read it according to the rules and regulations of the ancient world, not according to our modern rules of science and logic. And you've got to understand that the ancient people did not see or make sense of the world in the same way that we do. You've got to keep that in mind. Or see how this works. Let's just go back to Cain's wife. Now, the reason why the mention of Cain's wife troubles us today is because the way we think as modern people is that if a part of a story does not line up with another part of the story, like the fact that there's only supposed to be three people and then Cain's wife shows up, we think there has to be a mistake. That's the way it works in our brain. But what happens when you begin to make sense of this verse in light of the Bible being written for us, not to us, or understanding that this story was written by ancient people to ancient people, what you'll begin to discover is the ancient readers of the Bible were actually very familiar with this strange little verse. It's not something that slipped through the cracks. It's not something that they didn't see. But here's the thing. It didn't bother them a bit. It wasn't a big deal. 
right? It wasn't something that they had to think about and make fit altogether. And the reason it didn't bother them is because for them, the most important truth that this story has to teach is not going to be found in all the facts lining up or us knowing all of the backstory. No, for them, the truth to be found is in the meaning of the story itself. Or kind of like the truth of a parable or poetry, but different. Truth here is not going to be discovered in the facts, but in the meaning. Or in the ancient world, the bigger truths that the Bible was written to help us catch a glimpse of are not necessarily going to be found in everything always lining up, but in the meaning that the story portrays. Which in turn helps us to see that the introduction of Cain's wife from out of nowhere actually takes nothing away from the meaning of this story. In fact, she's needed to explain the descendants of Cain. And without her, the story doesn't work. You can't have the story go on without her. And for the ancients, that's enough. It's what mattered. Because whether you know where Cain's wife came from or not, the meaning is the same. And that's what they're after. Or very simply put, for ancient readers of the Bible, meaning oftentimes is more important than facts. Now, it's not that facts don't matter. I'm not throwing facts out here. But it's just the way they thought. Because for them, it is in the meaning of the stories where you're going to find the truth that the Bible proclaims. Which, by the way, when you spend any time thinking about it at all, makes a lot of sense. Because the kind of truth that we're after has always been bigger than just facts. It's pointing to something that's even beyond that. So, how are you guys doing right now? Isn't it interesting, right? Now, I know that some of you are still troubled and wrestling with this. Please know this, this is a part of it. This is what happens when you read these texts in the way that they were written and intended to be read. And if you begin to think about it in different ways, man, it's amazing what you'll see instead of getting caught up in trying to make it work as you think it should work. So, now that you get the Bible is written for us, not to us, but I hope all of you are going to remember as you're reading Scripture, especially when you come across one of those verses, man, where things get weird, is that what it means to read the Bible on its own terms is to get that meaning is bigger. Meaning is where you're going to find what it is that you're looking for. It doesn't change anything. By the way, just because you haven't seen it until this point doesn't mean it's not always been that way. Right? This is the way this text has always been. That little verse has always been there. You just didn't see it. And it, it wasn't a big deal back then, and it's still not a big deal today if you'll learn how to read the text for what it's doing. So, good luck. God bless, and what I want you to know is it doesn't change anything. In Scripture, you are going to find the truth that has the ability to transform, mold, shape, and even save you. So you need to read it, but you need to read it in the way it was intended to be read. It will change you. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and this is one of those, man, it makes us wrestle. Oh, we don't like it. Um, but once we delve in, once we kind of get into feeling uh, this uncomfortableness, it begins to shape and mold us to see things in a bit new way. 
or were opened up to see that the Bible was written to us, not for us, or for us, not to us. And man, it opens things up. We understand that when we sit down and read these texts, it's a little bit different than the way we think about the world today, and that's okay. And then we learn to read it for what it is. It's in the meaning. It's in the bigger picture. Or we find the truth that will transform us. So help us, O oh Lord, to remember this as we read Scripture. Always finding the meaning that, that you are trying to give to us. We can find that salvation, life, and hope that this is Scripture points to. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.